You're listening to Thrive, where every week we have meaningful conversations with incredible women like you, packed with practical tips and sisterly advice to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. We're shaking the story that you're just getting by and stepping into who God made you to be. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I'm your host, Erica Gwynn, and I'm ready to thrive together. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Thrive. Today's episode is for all the girlies who have ever felt trapped in a life lived on default. It's an awesome conversation with my fabulous friend, Julie, who on the outside very much looks like she does it all. She's got a seven-figure business, a top 1.5% globally ranked podcast, over 20 years of marketing and sales experience. She had a brick and mortar boutique and more, including a husband and three kids. But really, Julie's life has been filled with very intentional choices and specific moves to let her live by her own design and very much not by default. In this episode, she shares how she managed to rise the corporate ranks at IBM all the way to vice president of marketing while still saying no and coaching her son's soccer team. She spills the secret to building your self-image and self-confidence to make these big, bold moves in your own life. And she breaks down her formula for being a mom and. Whether you're a corporate chica, an ambitious entrepreneur, and or a fellow mama, this episode is not one to miss. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Julie. Oh, I am so excited to be here, Erica. Thank you for having me. Of course. Welcome to Thrive. You're like the epitome of thriving for women and for women in business, for moms in business, the multi-passionate girls among us, because that is both of us. I mean, I honestly don't even know where to begin with introducing you because you truly do it all. So you have, let's see here, a seven-figure business, a top 1.5% globally ranked podcast, over 20 years of marketing and sales experience. Uh, Then you opened a brick and mortar boutique and became a leading network marketer. And you're also a wife and a mom of three. So I mean all the things, but I would say you probably didn't necessarily do it all at the same time, which is a very important key and a caveat to throw in for everybody. But without stealing any more of your thunder, give us the order of operations here and walk us through your story and what brought you to where and who you are today. Yeah, I, I'm excited to do that because yeah, no, it did not happen all at the same time. And it was all for the same goal, though. And that was to really live by design. It's like on my my um, board behind me, live by design is everything versus default. And my goal was to be a mom and that was always my intention. I actually felt a little guilty when I had my first child. She's now turning 20 that um, I didn't want to stay home and not work. I really just knew that I was built for creating and, you know, uh, using my mind and doing things. I felt a little guilty about that, but I knew that I wanted it. But I also knew that being a mom had to come first and finding how I was going to do that. How was I going to fulfill the mission of being a mom and 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 really being able to create a life that had the lifestyle that we wanted, but also being able to have freedom because and flexibility, because as we know with children, and little punchline here is the older they get, the actually the more they need you, by the way. <laughs> so being able to design career, business, your life in a way where you can be both, that was my guiding principle. So each of those pivots and turns from spending 20 years in corporate, I was a vice president of marketing at IBM before I went into several different business ventures until I found the one that was going to be the right move for me and for my family and in alignment. It was all on that quest for for freedom. And I will tell you that 20 years in corporate, wasn't a lot of freedom. And I, as we were saying before we we hit record, I'm older, I'm turning 49. And when I was 
just having kids. So we're, you know, we're talking, you know, 19, 20 years ago, there was no online entrepreneurship like this at all. Like it wasn't even an option. And it was, you, I went to college, I got my MBA, and then it was, you go work for a company. There was, you know, you either went into business working for someone else, like an IBM, or you became a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or, you know, one, you picked a profession and very little other opportunities. And in fact, the word entrepreneur, I honestly, I don't think we ever really use that very much. And it was any entrepreneur that I knew, like was, you know, someone that owned a hair salon or a restaurant or maybe a boutique in town, but that was it. And that, that wasn't a path that I was going to go down, but there was something in my soul from the first few months at IBM back when I was, you know, in my like late 20s, I knew wasn't the right, right role for me or the right, like right uh, path for me. And when I had, when I got pregnant with my daughter, um, which was, I guess I'd only been at IBM a year and I got pregnant with, with Caroline, I was like, pregnant and on the phone with a franchising company who they, it was a beautiful flower shop that, that was franchising. And I was like, maybe I'll do that because there really wasn't a lot of opportunity. I mean, you either had to like go franchise. There still wasn't a lot of opportunity back then. There was really no, the, the internet was around, but it was like babycenter.com was like the only place we went to for anything, like to like be in chat groups or whatever, to hear from other moms. You didn't have social media, anything that we have today, 20 years ago. So the options were very limited, but my soul always knew that it wasn't in the right place. But being who I was, I kept moving up. I kept, I was ambitious. I wanted to be successful, but I wasn't going to compromise being a mom at the same time. So I'm here at IBM. I'm growing um, in my career. I'm getting promoted. I'm saying no to a lot of things though, too, because I was going to do it my way. And I can remember being told, so this is really important for anyone that's listening that might be in a corporate job or you might be working for someone else. Don't give up what you want and how you want your life to be. And if you show up and you do a great job at what you do and you excel, you're going to be able to have some wiggle room to make some demands of your own. And I can remember being told that if you want to be an executive, that you had to go down this one path. And this one path would have kept me away from home five days a week. I really wouldn't have seen my young children. And I was like, oh, that's a no for me. And I remember being told by a guy that was high up in the company, like, you're not going to be able to be an executive here then. And I was not going to take that for an answer. And things like that just continued to keep happening. And I kept getting promoted anyway. And I'll never forget, I was a manager at IBM. And I was sitting in one of those like boardrooms with like all the windows. And crazy enough, it was all women in there. Okay. It was all women at all different levels. And my boss and some other executives were in there. And I was coaching my four-year-old son's soccer team. And this meeting was going over by like two hours. I had a 40 minute ride home. All the balls for the soccer team are in my back of my car, right in the parking lot outside the, the, the building. And I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking I'm the, the most junior person in here. I really wanted to get promoted to executive. And I was like, but my kids are first. So I was like, excuse me, um, I need to leave. I'm coaching soccer and, you know, sorry, I can't stay. And I left and one of the vice presidents turned to my boss and said, I thought you said she wanted to get promoted and become an executive. My boss told me about it later. Well, wouldn't you know, within a couple of years, I still made vice president. I still became an executive, but I did it my way. And I just wanted to share that because don't be afraid. Like you're going to, I would have had regrets now that my kids are older, that I didn't stick up for myself and what was important. And it didn't hinder my career growth either. So just a little tip on that. Um, but I, I knew, I knew I wanted to do something different. I just didn't know what, and then the dawn of kind of the online entrepreneur world started to, to happen. And I still held back cause it was very scary. It was, you know, I was by this point, I was a vice president um, of marketing at IBM. I had now had three children and I was making a lot of money and we were in what I call the income lifestyle trap where 
Now you have this certain house, you're living a certain lifestyle, you're going on certain vacations and all the things to leave that to try to go start my own business, I felt completely trapped. And so that is why I stayed longer than I even wanted to. And then it came time where I just knew like my soul was crying out. I knew that I needed to do something different. And I was on a plane going from New York to Dallas because I traveled, you know, uh, for, for work. And I was reading a book, another female entrepreneur. And I was like, wait a minute. She was a mom, she's a mom of two kids. She had a, a corporate job. She left, she started this business. Why not me? And the moment I really started to ask that question on that plane, I read the whole book on that flight, writing notes, you know, all the things. I was like, no, this is gonna happen. And when I came home, sat down with my husband, and he at the time was a police officer. So I was the primary breadwinner too. So that all of that lifestyle and our income and everything was really on me. And I said, he's, we've retired him now. He's not doing that any longer, but I can remember sitting with him and saying, I really want to leave. This was six years ago. And I said, but in order for me to do that, we're going to have to sell the house. <laughs> he's like, well, what? You know, we have three kids, this big house. And I said, we're going to have to sell the house. I said, I'm not going to be handcuffed to a house and a certain lifestyle just to stay and have to stay in this job, have to stay in this career that I didn't love. And he agreed. And we made pretty bold moves about six years ago to get ourselves in a position where I was able to leave IBM and start my business venture, which, as you said, started with a brick and mortar boutique, moved on to network marketing and ultimately started my own coaching business, which was kind of the last six year journey. But it took that really bold move to make that decision to finally follow my soul. And it was it was a long time coming. Okay, so much to unpack there. First question that I feel like is probably on the top of everybody's brains is what do you think that you did differently um, that still got you those promotions? Because every step of the way here, if you have people literally saying to your face, this is going to cost you, it's one thing to be like, uh, we'll see how it goes and we'll try our best. And like, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it sure seems like you totally had it in the bag here. <laughs> and you, I mean, you did it, you did the dang thing. You rose all the way to the top. So what, did you do something consciously that was different? Or do you think it was just kind of who you are or how you were that was fantastic enough. I mean, obviously you are a very charming personality, but like, do you, what, what do you think was like the, the key there? I love that you just asked that question because I, it was something very specific and we get lost sometime in this. We think we have to do all the things. So especially when we're working for someone else, so we do this in our own businesses too, but we think we have to do all the things we do. Who am I kidding? We do we do this as moms too. We think we have to do all the things and we don't. We need to do a few things exceptionally well. And that was always my my mantra. I, when I when I first got to IBM, I remember looking around and I did not see one example of a woman that had the was the mom and okay. So I was I was in my late 20s, you know, 27, I guess maybe. And I wanted an example. I wanted an example. Like if I was going to go to the top, if I was going to, like, I was very ambitious. So I knew that I wanted to become an executive, but I didn't see any examples anywhere. And I think that was my first clue that I was going to have to try to figure this out myself of what I wanted, because I couldn't even follow in someone's footsteps. And what I would notice is that those that were rising up were literally sacrificing themselves, like giving everything of themselves and doing all the things. And I can remember taking a step back and being like this huge list that I would have to do or things that I had to do for work. And I'm like, most of this isn't even important. And so what I started to do, and I actually still do this practice today in my own business, because we're, we're so busy, we have so much going on, right, in our lives, I would write down the most important three things that had to get done that day. The most important, like that these other things that didn't matter, doesn't matter. I had to get those three things done. And I started that practice, gosh, when I was like, you know, like 27, 28 years old. 
And here's the crazy thing that I started to figure out. Those things that really didn't matter, no one actually cared if they got done. And I can remember like sitting with my boss and we were going through, you know, the list of different things and them just being like, never even asked about the other things that they had asked about two weeks ago, because they just threw work at you. Sometimes bosses just throw work at people, but they're not really that important. So it gets, it's about getting so clear on what's the most important and most important, meaning most valuable will be most appreciated by the people that you work for. That's going to move the needle forward the most. The other stuff can wait or actually usually ends up falling off. So it's about being really discerning about that. And it's it's really knowing what whoever you work for or if it's not your own business, what's the most important things that need to be done? That, that's really the key. I mean, there were other things too. Like I definitely like with networking and made sure that I was putting myself out there for opportunities and things like that. But if I really had to boil it down, it was being very discerning about what was the most important thing to be done. That's honestly though, really sound advice, not just for in a career, but like you said, also in motherhood, honestly, in probably any realm of life or in any season, because I've gotten this a few times since I'm still running my business while having a newborn where people are like, how are you doing it? Like how, what is, what is going on here? How are you still doing so much? And I'm like, it might look like I'm doing so much, but I'm not. There are things that were cut so that the things that were most important could be prioritized. So my to-do list, oh my gosh, totally got cut, like slashed in half, slashed in a third app, like taking a shower was now a to-do. But if I knew that that was the most important thing for me to do that day, for me to feel sane and feel like me and still feel productive and happy and joyful in other areas, then that's what got done. So it's, I think that's so applicable, like regardless of where you're at in your life, if you can narrow it down to this is the most important thing and here's why you'll get that done. And it will end up giving you some more margin for some of the other things that are like the ideal would love to get this done if I have enough time kind of things on the list too. Totally. And so just two things I would add to that is that as you move up, especially if you're in, in a company or even in your own home as, as a mom, delegating is really key too. So, you know, when you're a, so when you're a single, you know, like, you know, you're not a, um, uh, you know, a manager yet or an executive or, or maybe you're a solopreneur, so you don't have, you know, a team quite yet. Yeah. You just, you're going to just go with that. Like, all right, what is the most important things that need to get done? But then as you start to move up, it's getting really okay with delegation and not having to hold everything so close to the vest of you having to do it. And if you can get good at that, and it's hard, listen, I know, like there are certain things where I'm like, do I want to ask my husband to do this? Because it might not get done the way that I want. Just take it from someone that's just a, a little older, like you know, get, like I said, turning 49, it's so much more freeing, the more comfortable that you can get with delegation, but it does require you to let go of perfection. So delegate, but you got to learn to let go of perfection. And when you can kind of get that down, whew, it's so good. And the cool part is if you still apply that principle of only the most important things, it's why people always like to work for me. So when I was at IBM, people like to work for me, like my teammate, my team likes to work with me because I don't give them a bunch of work that's not needed. I literally give them, we just need these three things done. Like, can you get, these are the most important things, right? And so if you get really good at that, you can, what I call you skip steps. Like, I feel like I skip steps at IBM. I skip steps in my businesses. And it's, I really believe it's because of that. So, so, so true. Okay. So I know we're also both all about kind of waking up on a Monday morning and really loving what you do, obviously. So talk to us about kind of getting in the right mindset to make that happen, because clearly you're like a high vibe person. We both are. And it takes a very specific and intentional headspace to stay there, especially when you are multi-passionate and you've got a lot going on and you're kind of doing all of these things and you're ambitious all at the same time. What's the, what is the mindset or how do you get there and stay there ideally as much as humanly possible? Well, you know, it really goes back to a very simple question that you have to ask yourself of what is it that you really want? And I think that for me, 
getting more and more clear. And I will tell you, Erica, that continues to evolve as I evolve. So when I was first starting this business, like being that ambitious, like go, go, go. Like I was starting to create a business that wasn't what I wanted. And the last thing I wanted was to have a huge team again. I had, I had a division of 200 people that I was leading at IBM. I did not want that again. I did not want to build a business that had this big team. I didn't want to build a business that had me in meetings Monday through Friday, back to back, which is what I had in corporate, but this drive and kind of that whole hustle culture in the online space of what, you know, what was success, right? I started finding myself building something that wasn't making me happy on Monday mornings and was affecting my vibe. So the key is making sure that you know, are you're crystal clear on what it is that you want and then working like heck to actually create that. So for example, I know for me and not everyone's this way, everyone's different, right? For me, calendar integrity at the calendar, calendar openness is huge for me. Like I have to have a lot of free time baked into my week so that I can be creative. I love working with my clients. I love doing what I do in my business, but in order for me to be a master at my craft, I need open time to do that. I cannot be in meetings all the time. I don't want a big team. So it's, it was about making sure that I was creating a business and designing it in a way that created a lot of free space, a lot of free space in my calendar. And I think one of the things I started to realize is that I actually valued freedom over any specific revenue number of any kind. And that was whether it was income coming into me or into the business, that freedom is everything for me. So I think that when you naturally align to what lights you up and you're designing it in a way that works for your energy and who you are, you can't help but be happy, like help but be excited, help but be motivated. I think that when we struggle with the mindset, when we struggle with the motivation, when we struggle with being inspired, there's usually something that's not quite right in either how you've designed your career or your business or maybe you know other parts of your life. It's something's out of alignment. It's almost like a red flag. Do I love every single thing in my business? No, but it's like a balance. And how I've built things, I love more than any of the things that maybe I don't love in my business. But when that balance starts to go the other way, even if you're doing something that is soul aligned and you love, if you've built it the wrong way, it totally will start to affect your mindset and your energy. And it's it truly is continuing to check in with yourself on, is this what I want? And when I say that, I mean, how do you want your Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays to look? How do you want that to be? Being really, really um, discerning about what we allow and what we don't allow. And even now that I have a team, like, they know like Mondays and Wednesdays, no meetings scheduled. There's no meetings scheduled on my calendar and Fridays. Actually, that's true. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I don't take meetings. I don't, do, I, my meetings are Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I like kind of like go back to back a bit on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I don't mind that because I love the space and the freedom of Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. And it allows me to, you know, go on long vacations, long weekend vacations with the kids or to have, or that freedom in my business to be creative and things like that. So just ask yourself, like, what is it that I really want? How much money do I really want to make? What do I really want to do? How do I want my weeks to look? And then make sure that you're designing it in alignment with that. And you will mo be mostly like high vibe because it, you're making it in alignment with your, your energy. Like I'm big into human design and gene keys. And I feel like when the better, you know, you, easier you're going to make sure that you've created the life, the business, the career in alignment with what's going to keep that energy at that state, if that makes sense. For sure. For sure. I don't know much about human design and I actually don't think I've ever heard of gene keys, but I'm pretty sure that my human design is manifesting generator. Is that that's one of we them, mostly right? actually 70% of us are manifesting generators and generators. And that's what we're like, the go, 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 the build, build, yeah. build, the, you know, uh -huh. that's such our <laughs> Checks out. Um, but there are shadow sides to that. And that's why I always say that, like, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. I always say that because I work with women in business, I always say that your business can't outperform you, can't outperform where you're at. 
but that's true with your life. Like your life can't create results. You can't have results in your life that outperform where you're at. So the more that you do study you, as weird as that sounds, if someone had ever said that to me back when I was like, you know, in my early 20s or late teens, like, yeah, you got to study you. I'd be like, what are you talking about? But it's true. The more you understand who you are, how you operate, how you operate at your highest frequency, what takes that frequency to the lowest level, like all those things, we're all so unique. And the more you can understand you, the more you can make sure that you're building things in a way that help you. And I got to tell you, when I became an entrepreneur and started to really do a lot more of the inner work and get to know me, it actually, the ripple effect it had on my children was massive because I, like I said, I have three kids and my son, Jack, who he's 18, we just dropped him off at, at, at college. He's playing football in college. Um, he and I had a really tumultuous relationship from the time he was probably six, seven years old till about 11, right? When I was really starting all this work and I was very reactive, right? Like the, the daughter, she did everything like I asked her to do and all the expectations were met and there were no tantrums and everything was good. So I was good, right? And then I had the, the little baby, he's now nine. He just was easy. Like, again, didn't cause my shadow stuff to come up, right? But Jack and I, it did. And I didn't like who I was being. I felt like I was yelling. I didn't want to yell. That's not that's not who I wanted to be. But before I started doing this work of understanding me, I thought it was him. Like in my mind being like, oh my God, like why can't he be easier? Why can't he be like how his sister is being all these things? Then I started to understand me better. And I'm like, oh, I got to do work here. He doesn't have to change. I need to do some work. And I started to do that. And I started to be really intentional about who I wanted to be with him as his mother. Everything changed. Like I have the chill saying it, like our entire relationship changed. I'm so grateful and thankful to doing this kind of work because again, the better you know you, the better your relationships will be, the better everything in your life will be. So that's something no one ever told me. And so anyone listening, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already doing that. Um, but it's, it is about the better, you know, yourself is going to give you the results that you desire in your life. Okay. Well, now the people need to know if you're comfortable sharing, because that's such like an incredible before and after, what did you change that, uh, made, yes. that you think made the biggest impact? So a couple of things. One, I realized that I had a manual in my mind of how he was supposed to act. And if he wasn't acting the way I thought he was supposed to act, which by the way, my manual was such about conditioning. It was so societal, right? It's like, guess when I would be at my worst when he would act that way in front of other moms, right? Like talk about, you know, that conditioning and that stuff coming out. So for me, it was really first seeing that I had this expectation on him. And when he wasn't following that expectation, I reacted in a way I didn't love. And it could really trigger it in me. And so the tool that I learned that helped me immensely is responding versus reacting. It's like being able in the moment, this is hard, this is not easy. You actually have to practice this, right? You first have to decide how you want to be. And when I really looked at him, I mean, we're talking like I would be sitting on the floor of my kitchen crying, just crying, like honestly feeling probably as sorry for myself as I did for him. And it was just a disaster. Right. And I can remember, you know, um, us like at, in the after where instead of it getting to that point, I could, I could do hit the pause button. And the way that I started to do that was I realized, okay, all this kid wants and needs for me is my love. That's all I need. That's all a child needs is they need the love, right? They need the love regardless of his behavior. So I had this mantra in my mind all the time. He just wants my love. He just wants my love. He just wants my love. So when his behavior was like yelling or he was doing something or throwing something or whatever was happening, I would literally just be playing that mantra in my mind. And this takes being very present and mindful and intentional, right? Because our, we, we're humans. We want to react like, you can't talk to me that way or you shouldn't, right? 
And so I had that mantra in my mind at all times. And I decided I wanted to respond in the way that I wanted to respond versus react. And just that it's a simple concept, but it's really hard to implement and it requires pausing. It requires pausing and it requires you being very intentional about how do I want to show up in this moment? So I would play out these scenarios where, okay, so when Jack says this, when Jack does this, right? Because they were usually typical patterns. How do I want to respond? I know how I reacted. How do I want to respond? And then practicing it. It's like, we have to practice being who we want to be. And you know, within maybe, I don't know, six months or more, it, does, it wasn't overnight, it would be ridiculous. But over time, it dramatically changed to the point where I rarely ever yelled over the last five and a half years. Like, and I used to be a yeller. Like, that was a dramatic shift. And all that changed, my kids didn't change. I changed. And of course, that ripple effect on them was powerful too, because, you know, if I'm calm and loving and not yelling, they're not rising up in all those things. So it was really powerful doing this inner work, how much it impacted other parts of my life. Absolutely. And we see that all the time now too, with our four and a half year old and are in that experimentation phase of how do you want to show up? Because it's man, especially I think every parent in the room can absolutely empathize where it is it is hard to not just give a knee-jerk reaction to certain to certain things. So but I think also in the spirit of these things can be applicable across all veins and walks of life, when it comes to thinking about how you are showing up, obviously you're also a marketing and sales expert. Oh, I'm so proud of myself for that segue. That worked really well. That was beautiful. But, <laughs> but that's like totally your jam. So if you had to kind of break it down to a few major keys of like a few musts that you would recommend for not just surviving in a business, but thriving, whether you are the small business owner, whether you're the big company like IBM, whether whatever kind of thing you are doing and marketing and trying to sell, what would you recommend? So I'm going to gear it towards probably a lot of your listeners, if they are in, you know, in a business and they're in there, you know, or even in a company, right? Your personal brand is everything. And I know a lot of business owners in this time are typically selling themselves, right? They're marketing and selling themselves. They're the product. So if they're a coach, a consultant, there's, they're not selling, you know, this mug, right? They're selling themselves. That is really hard, especially for women still. Like we've got these like paradigms and, and conditioning that still, I mean, if, Anyone saw the Barbie movie, like everything in that monologue, right? That um, America Ferrosa is true. We still are struggling with so much junk that actually, quite frankly, you know, a lot of guys don't actually have to deal with as much. So we get caught up in our head around promoting, selling, marketing ourselves, seeing our gifts, our strengths, what we're good at, because we don't want to be too much right? We don't want to be too much. And so, but then we're not putting ourselves out there. So what, this is the big thing I see. I see it when I saw it when I was in IBM and I mentored women at IBM. I see it right now in my coaching business. And I actually used to see it all the time when I was in network marketing with women in network marketing. We are the limiter. Your personal brand is everything. You, but what I mean by your personal brand, and because it's, there's a lot out there about personal brands, right? Your personal brand is less about like, I mean, it does matter, like how you're putting yourself together and like, is it representing of you? Are you in your, your true authentic, you know, style and all that? That's huge. Right. Um, or if you're an entrepreneur, you know, the different colors and fonts and all those things, that's not what I mean at all. I, what I really mean is, is that if you are the product and you're selling you, right. If someone's going to, you're going to hire someone as a coach, you got to believe in them. You've got to believe that you're the, you're the person who's going to be able to help me. Or if you are in corporate, the person hiring has to believe you're going to be the person that can do the job. If you're going to be a consultant, same thing. Now, here's the thing. No one can know for sure until they actually pay you money or they give you the job. 
They can't, no one can know. So what are people actually buying? What are people doing when they actually promote someone? It's belief. They're believing. So I always say it this way. People buy belief. They don't buy a product. They buy, they expect, they have this belief to then give someone a promotion, right? So our job in our personal brand is to actually create belief. That's it. So if our goal in our marketing and our personal brand and what we're doing is to just create that belief in the person that's making that decision, either the client that's going to pay you money, the person that's going to promote you, guess where the belief has to start first? In us. So we ha you have to like do that work to believe in you to be able to sell belief. Because this day and age, unless you're selling a product, so it's really the only time where you're this, this is not as applicable. You're still selling belief. You're still selling belief that that product is going to work, but it's you can believe in a product sometimes more than you can believe in yourself, which is really sad, but it's really true. So if you're selling a product, it's a little different. But if you're if you are a, a, an entrepreneur, like a, a coach, a consultant, a course creator, if you are um, in corporate and you're trying to get promoted and, and get to the next level or whatever that's going to be, really work on that belief in yourself and work on creating a brand, a personal brand that helps to create that belief in others. That's how you're going to be successful. And when you instill that, that's when you also get that wiggle room that I was talking about at the very beginning of this discussion, which is like, how did, how are you able to get the promotions without, you know, doing all the other things? Belief, right? It was like a really, when you, I had strong belief in myself, I believed I was very valuable to that company. I believed that I was a good leader. I believed that what I was doing was creating, you know, things that they wouldn't want to let go. And that allowed me then to have the confidence to say no to this and to leave that conference room when it was time to go coach soccer, right? And things like that. So I can't iterate that enough that, that, that your personal brand truly is everything. And it starts with that belief in yourself. Going going right off of that too, in terms of the belief in self to really sell anything else and have anybody believe in anything thereafter, I'm sure there are so many women listening to this conversation right now who have big ideas in their heads, big dreams on their hearts, but they are feeling stuck or they're feeling scared or just generally unsure or uncomfortable if they've really got what it takes to turn it into something more than a pipe dream. Because I think especially looking at people like yourself who are kind of a couple of steps, not a couple, many steps ahead in the game, it can feel so hard and easy to compare the you, their beginning to your not end, but your much further down on the line sort of thing. So to that woman who maybe is already struggling with the belief in herself, let alone getting other people to kind of have that belief, what would you say to her specifically? Oh, I love that. Cause I, you know, it's so funny. I, I had such strong belief in myself at IBM and knew I was going to be a leader and all these things. It's almost like that all went out the door when I started to work for myself and start to grow my own business. I mean, I, I did not have it. And I, here's what I'm going to tell you. The only way you build it is in action, taking action. You don't build it when you don't take action. So you don't have to have belief to start. The belief will build over time. It, the only way it builds, it's like that you have to like take action and then the belief will follow. You take action, the belief will follow. It builds as you take action. I think the biggest mistake, and I made this for a long time, mine was less in the beginning. The not having the belief in myself was big after I left corporate trying to build my business. But before I left, the thing that was holding me back from doing it was not the belief. I actually, I actually had a lot of blind belief in myself back when I was in corporate. Like I could totally, like I would listen to podcasts and I'm like, I could totally run a business like that. I could start a business like that. I can do that. Like I was very sure, right? Until I was in it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. But when I, the thing that was holding me back though, was fear that I wouldn't, like, I guess was the risk. So I wasn't so concerned that I didn't have belief in myself, but I just felt like the risk was so heavy. And I was so focused on what I thought everyone else wanted. 
right? Like I didn't want to put up my family at jeopardy or, you know, like I felt like it was actually, I felt like it was very selfish of myself to leave a high paying job to go and do this. I really, that, that's probably the biggest thing I struggled with was selfish. That's what kept me stuck before. And then once I got through that and made the, but again, I didn't not feel uh, selfish until I started to do the thing, right? So I could have sat there and never left corporate because I was stuck in these this thought loop of, but this is selfish. What if it doesn't work? Like, this is risky. You shouldn't do this to your family and all those things. If I stayed in that loop, it, I never would have gotten to, I can do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to do it anyway until I actually took the step to do it anyway, right? You don't wait till you get the feeling. And then it's the same thing. Once you're doing something, you're creating something, it's the belief follows as you go. And so you have to just keep taking action. It's like this persistence, you know, you show up and you do the next thing and you're like, okay, like I'll never forget. We were just talking about how both of our podcasts are like five years old. I can remember in July of 2018, sitting behind the mic, so afraid to record my first episode. I mean, I had a lot of fear. Was anyone going to listen to this? How's it going to sound? I remember I had like a whole script up on a PowerPoint so that I could get all my things. And I just think back to how, I, but I got better and better and better by just showing up you know, like almost 400 episodes later and, you know, showing up, doing the work. Now I can be like, oh, that's right. I got to get that podcast to my team. And I will literally hit record and just speak and speak from the heart, from what I want to say without even preparing anything. Like if you told me I would have been able to do that five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. So it is about that action in that action regardless of how you feel, you've got to take the action anyway, because if you wait for the right time or you feel good or you feel the belief and all that, it'll never happen. And there's one particular book that was like what pushed me past being stuck that like got me out of years of saying I was going to leave IBM and do my own thing. And it's right behind me. I always keep it with me. And it's a book by Bronnie Ware, and it's called The Five, the Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I know it sounds like, ooh, but it's really powerful. She was an, um, actually, she was in corporate, left corporate because she didn't want to be there and started, like, just was kind of like this nomad, like kind of wanted to travel the world. And she ended up falling into the uh, the business of helping people at the end of their life. So she wasn't a nurse. She was more there to be a companion and to like, like have for the, uh, the rest of the family to have someone there that's 24 seven at someone's end of life. She said that she worked with, she was with so many different people, different walks of life, different ages. And she started to notice trends of regrets and so she compiled kind of the top five trends of regrets that she saw and put it in that book. And I got to tell you, my guy, my little guy's nine. He was a baby. Remember I was holding him. I was nursing him like forever and ever and ever. Um, and I would read, I was like reading that book. So I can even remember, I, I can see myself in his nursery, like reading that book behind me. And I was like, no, now it has to be now. Like I am not going to have regrets. I don't want to be 80, 90 or older and look back and have regrets. And I, I said it to my husband all the time now, I'm like, I, I'm so glad I did this. I said, if I ended up staying in a job I didn't love and I, and we were older, I said, I would look back and always regret this, always regret that I didn't take a chance. And so sometimes it's books like that, that just kind of give you the perspective that you need to, it's almost like you're borrowing someone else's belief, right? You're borrowing from someone else. Like after reading that, I'm like, I have to do this. So I kind of borrowed the feeling that I got from that book to be able to get myself to that next step. And, and sometimes you need to do that. That kind of brings us totally full circle because since in the beginning, you mentioned some super bold moves that you made to kind of actually get you to do the dang thing and get over the hump and make it happen. What do you think you personally did or what changed or what actionable steps did you take that actually enabled you to make those moves and actually actually do it because you weren't, you were like taking a step, but those in and of themselves were like really freaking big steps. So 
yeah. Fill, fill, in, I, fill in that gap. <laughs> again, I love the questions. It's so, so important, right? So I can remember, I'll never forget, there was an accountant that said to me once back when I was still at IBM, he was like, I, since I was saying like, I would love to leave, I don't know. And he said, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. Mm, and that's good. I was like, okay, that's good. And so I was, we were living a certain lifestyle but I was like, well, what do we really need? And I really kind of just took a whole step back. I really looked at our finances. I looked at what we were spending our money on, you know, what was really important, what wasn't, what was, what were we doing because we thought we had to? Cause like this kind of, I mean, things are changing now, thank God. And I think the pandemic shifted some things for people and all of that of what's really important, but seven years ago, eight years ago, it was still that heavy pressure of like, you go to the next thing, like maybe you're first in an apartment and then you get your starter home and then you get your bigger home and then your nicer cars. And then you're going on all these trips and then the kids are going to college. And it's like, you're on this trajectory up. And I really took a, a different look and a different perspective of what was going on. And I'm like, do we need this? Do we need to have this? Like I started questioning things, right? And I looked at our finances. I looked at what was important. And that started to help me to see, to make the bold move of like selling our house. But the reality of it was we, we downsized. So we went from like, I was like a 4,000 square foot home to like a 2,500 square foot home, which we are still in. We ended up building this office off of it once the business was doing well, but I love this house more than I even loved the other one. And we reduced our, um, our expenses by 60%, 60%. And we took a little bit of a detour. Like if you think about going, you're going like this up, 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 up. I was like, I just got to get off the exit ramp for a little bit. Like I got to get off the exit ramp and get my life to where I want it to be. And then I, if I want to start going up again, I can, which interestingly enough, I did again with my business. And I, I found myself like kind of starting to build something I didn't want there. Took a little bit of an exit, chill a little bit. Let's like redesign how we're building this business. Okay. Now back no one's ever really taught us that that's okay to do. We we still live in a time where the narrative is you got to work and make a certain amount of money so that you can have enough in retirement to then retire. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, this still, it's still the narrative. It's a, kind of a crazy narrative that has been keeping so many people stuck in their life. So the, when you, if you want to make a big, bold move, the first thing you need to do is you actually have to like, look at what you believe, look at your perspective and decide, is this what I really want? Like my vision is that I never retire. Like I got, I got, I had the opportunity to work with um, Bob Proctor and he just was such a special person to me. And he passed away two years ago at 87. He was still writing books, speaking on stages, like so passionate about what he was doing. Like, that's so what I envisioned for myself. So I'm building things and making bold moves, not because I'm following this, like, I have to have a certain amount in my retirement account. And then like, I'm not doing that. And, and I think that it's about changing what's important, living more, not in the now, we don't want to be like reckless, right? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, get in tune with what you believe, not with what this expectation is, maybe what parents and grandparents and the next door neighbors and the neighborhood you live in. Like it's so, it influences us so much of what we think is fact. You get to decide, you know? So just taking more authority on what do you believe? What is the perspective you want to take? And then when you can own that, you can start making bold moves. And the funny thing is, we we started a trend because everyone thought we were crazy at first, right? And now, and then people are like, "Oh my god!" They came to our house, you know. They're like, "Oh, I want to do this. I got it. We got what? We why do we need this house with twenty thousand dollars taxes? Like da da da. Like and everyone's it started to change other people's perspective. So sometimes you have to be the first one, first one in your family, first one in you know your circle, first one you know. And it can be a little hard to be the first one, but it's kind of cool when you can help to change other people's perspective with that. Oh, absolutely. And I think when you're when you're in entrepreneurship or when you are just a multi-passionate person like us and ambitious, whatever you want to call it, if you really sit down and think about it, the idea of retiring at some point 
really might not actually resonate with a lot of us. Like in our heads, we might've always thought, oh yeah, we have to do that. Sure. Because that's what we've been conditioned to think. But when you love what you do, like you said, what, what would we be doing instead? Like, like retirement was like an escape. Like people would retire because they were done. And they're done working. And like, if you're not, if you're doing things that you love to do, what are you going to do? Just like, put it, throw in the towel and then do crosswords for the rest of your life. Like maybe you'll get to travel more or spend time with family more. But if you're, if you're, if you are so graced with having the opportunity to do things that you love to do already, then what would, why would you want to stop doing what you love to do if you're able to, and if it's working and still something that you're enjoying and you want to keep going, you can keep going and that's totally okay. One of my oldest clients is 75. Okay. I love that. And she was a psychotherapist and she, you know, was widowed and her kids have moved out and she retired. And she was like looking around, like, what am I? I'm not done. You know, she said, I wasn't, I didn't want to just go take naps and like lunch with people. She's like, or golf. She's like, I have more to give and there's more I want to do. And so she became a coach and she's helping other women, especially women that have gone through being, becoming a widow or kind of at this crossroads of maybe they did retire and like, they're ready to kind of figure out maybe what's next. It's she's like paving the way. Cause there's not a lot of people doing that at that age. And she said, she feels so much more alive and vibrant and happy because she's loves working with clients and doing what she's doing. We're, we're meant to create like, it's just who we are as humans. We're, we're designed to create things and to do. And when we kind of stop, usually it's we're escaping from something we're kind of done with, but it doesn't mean we're done. And I think that it's a lot of changing perspectives right now. Yeah, I love that. Gosh, Julie. Okay, well, in getting things wrapped up, I'm super excited for your answer to this next question because it's what we close out the show with every single every single episode. And that's what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? I like got the chills with the, with the question, (laughs) even though I knew that you were going to ask it. It's like thriving to me means that you are fully in alignment with what lights you up because when we're not spending most of our waking hours in environments and in careers or businesses or whatever relationships, if you're not spending most of your waking out waking hours in environments that thrive, something has to change. It's huge to me. Thriving is you are in full alignment with what lights you up. I love that. Ah, so good. Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more, learn about your coaching, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, the podcast is always great because it's a free resource where I go into a lot of this. So um, it's called Ignite Her Mind. So you can go and check that out. Um, Also, uh, the website, juliesciardi.com kind of has everything that's going on there. But I also love to connect with people. So websites are harder to connect directly with people too. So also I'm on Instagram, Julie Ciardi. And if something resonated, you know, in this episode, please let me know in the DMs. And also, you know, take a snapshot of the episode, you know, put it on Instagram stories, tag me, tag Erica. I'd love to respond, you know, and kind of hear what your favorite part of the episode was and what your takeaway was. So let's engage, (laughs) take it from the, take it from the podcast into real life. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.